Today we're talking about when God is uncooperative. I, I, wanna, I want you to think about this word cooperative for a second. We're going to break this one down. The, the, the word breaks really breaks down into co-operative. So it means you're operating with me. Co means with me. So if you're cooperative with me, if you're going to cooperate with me, then when I come to you and I say, come do this thing my way, come do this thing with me, come do this thing for me, you come on over here and do this thing my way, and if you do it, then you're cooperating with me. You're operating along with me. Does that make sense? Everybody get that? So that's what cooperating is. It's operating with someone else. So now I want you to, with that in mind, I want you to think about in your own life when God operated with you. When, God, when you basically, when you said this, God, come do this my way. Has anyone ever done that before? A lot of times we do this in prayer. Has anyone ever said that to God? God, I want you to come do this for me. I want you to come do this my way. You're praying for a job. You're praying for a spouse. You're praying for your kids. You're praying for a financial situation. You're praying for a health situation. I just want you to, right now, before we go on, I want you to get in your mind either the thing that you're asking God to cooperate with you on right now or something maybe that you have been asking for in the past. God, I'm asking you to come do this with me. I'm asking you to come do this my way. Now get that thing in your head. How many of you know that sometimes God doesn't cooperate with us? Sometimes he doesn't say, oh, sure, Brian, that's great. I'm gonna, yeah, of course. I see how you're operating, Sally, and I'm going to come alongside you and operate with, do you see where I'm going here? Do you feel the sarcasm a little bit? I'm trying to get you to realize that when God is uncooperative many times in our lives, it's because our perspective is we're coming to God saying, you have to operate with me. You have to come along my way and you have to do it my way. Does that, has anybody ever done that before? If you have, don't raise your hand. Look, I see people all over not raising their hands. It, it's, it's a, the visual that I have is like a tug of war. You know, if, I almost did this, but I didn't have a rope. And so we, had two, we have two people over here, just imagine this in your mind's eye, two people over here pulling, and one person over here pulling, and you're pulling, because sometimes we as couples do this, where we say, God, we want you to cooperate with us. My wife and I are together on this thing. This is what we want, this is what we're praying for. And we're tugging, and, and God's on the other side, and we're saying, why won't you cooperate with me? Why won't you drop your end of the rope and you come over here and I need you to pull with me? I need you to cooperate with me. But how many of you know that sometimes, and this is what I want you to maybe allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your situation today, sometimes the thing that God is not cooperating with you on is because he wants you to cooperate with him. He's over here saying, uh, which one of us is God? Right? Now we're over there saying, you do it my way, you do, it my, you do th my thing my way, and God's over there saying, I'm God, you're not. If you want cooperation, 
in this relationship. In other words, if you want everyone to be pulling together in this relationship, now wait for it, you have to come over here and do it my way. For some of you, the reason God isn't cooperating is because you're trying to get him to cooperate with you and his subtle, quiet, he's a gentleman a lot of times, his method is just to say, I'm not gonna budge. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I'm not gonna cooperate with you. If you want cooperation in this relationship, you're gonna have to come over here. Some of you right now are wanting to apply this to your marriage. I'm not talking about husbands and wives right now. Just let, leave that, that's for marriage counseling later on. We're talking about cooperating with God. So I'm gonna ask it again. What are you trying to get God to do for you? What are you trying to get God to cooperate with you on? And we're gonna just take a look at the story of one of the most famous guys in the Bible, the Apostle Paul. Before he was Paul, his name was Saul. And Saul was a guy who was extremely zealous in his faith. He was Jewish, he was a Pharisee, he was, a, he was one of those religiously elite people. He knew more than any of us know about the Old Testament. He totally, totally understood his version of God. Now, it was his version of God. It wasn't God's version of God. Sometimes we can miss God, even if we're religious. That's tweetable. I'll wait for a minute. Sometimes we can miss God even if we're religious. Sometimes, sometimes we can have this idea that God is a certain way and we're, we're zealous in that, and this is what Saul was. Saul, in Acts chapter nine, Saul was a religious guy who saw this, this little cult in his mind. It was a little cult that grew up following this, this totally uneducated carpenter's son. It was a cult, and he couldn't stand it because Jesus spent three years on, in his ministry before he died on the cross. Jesus spent three years investing in a bunch of losers. Losers is what he was doing. And he was investing in disciples, he was investing in fishermen, and he was investing in tax collectors, and these people probably couldn't even read. And then he died on the cross and rose from the dead, or so he said. And these disciples, all of a sudden, had this strange power to preach the word. Somehow they were teaching these basic truths. You can read about this in Acts chapter one and chapter two. Like Peter, who was a major loser fisherman. And Peter was a guy who should have been in jail for cutting off the Roman soldier's ear, but somehow he got let off the hook because Jesus healed the guy's ear, so there was no evidence. But Peter should be in jail, because he's, he's a loser, did I mention that? Because he's a loser, and Peter gets up there in Acts chapter two and preaches a sermon and thousands come to faith. And guys like Paul, these, these Pharisees, like Paul, the religious leaders, that was competition to them, and they were like, this is no good. And so they persecuted, and, and the most famous persecutor of Christians in the early church was this guy named Saul. And so in Acts chapter nine, we get introduced to him in the Bible and it says, meanwhile, verse one, Saul, 
later to become Paul, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers in his zeal. He didn't do it because he had a terrible heart. He didn't do it because he was an evil terrorist. He did it because he thought he was on God's side. And he would stop at nothing to do what he thought was right. So he went to the high priest, kind of his boss, and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their, here's a word, cooperation, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. Back then, the Christians weren't called Christians, they were just called followers of the way, capital W, the way. Because Jesus said, I am the way, and so they were, they were called followers of the way. And Saul thought he was right. And it says that he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And I'll let you read the rest of this for yourself. We don't have time to dive into all of this. But the, the basic story is he's heading, he's heading there, approaching Damascus on his mission, trying to get the religious leaders to cooperate with him, thinking he was cooperating with God. And then it says that a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now in my Bible, I have one of those fancy Bibles where the words of Christ are in red. Okay, and so it's a, it's a tip, it, it's helpful for me as I'm reading this because those words are in red, which means I can tell already that it's Jesus saying this. So Jesus is saying to Saul, this guy who thought he was cooperating, working with God, all of a sudden Jesus comes and, say, and says to him, why are you working against me? You're not working with me, you're working against me. Now this was, I just want you to know, uh, you know sometimes as Christians we read this and we're like, well, of course, Saul's a, he's a moron, he's an idiot, like he's the loser in the story. But you just need to understand, nobody, no religious people, no Jewish people thought that way about Saul. They were all like, this guy is on the right side. This guy is on God's side. This guy is operating with God. Clearly, he's operating with God. And so Saul was very confused when he heard these words. In verse five, it says this, who are you? This is an epiphany, this is the first part of the epiphany in Saul's life. He didn't even know who was talking to him. But it was weird, that was for sure, because there's this voice coming out of nowhere, and there's this light shining, he could hardly see, and, and the voice says, again, Saul didn't see the, the red letter words when he heard this. He didn't know yet it was Jesus. And so he said, who are you? Sometimes in our lives, in our journey, sometimes we, we think we know who God is. Sometimes we, we think we know what he wants for us. And this is sometimes why it's so confusing, why God doesn't make sense, because we want to see God on our terms. We don't want to see God on his terms. We, we want God to align with our plans 
we don't really want to align with God's plans. Now, maybe you can't relate to Saul, because maybe for you, you're like, I'm not a religious zealot. Now, some of you in here might be. Some of you, maybe you've been coming to Alpine for a little while, and you're trying to figure out who this God is. You're trying to figure out who Jesus is, and maybe you're a little confused. This is good. This, me- this part of the message is probably for you. Because some of you thought you were pursuing God your whole life, like Saul did in his zeal. I would even say in his pure-hearted zeal. And now he's having this epiphany, this revelation. Who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I'm Jesus. Can't you see the red letters? (laughs) The one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. I love that. He wasn't like, I'm gonna lay it out all out for you right here, right on the road to Damascus. He's like, nope, nope. Here, here, see what, you will see what Jesus is doing here? I want you to apply this to your situation. He's just giving him one breadcrumb at a time. Get up. Are you gonna cooperate with me? Go into the city, Damascus, the city that he had gone to to persecute Christians. He had letters saying that he was okay for him to do this. The the synagogues were gonna cooperate with him against the followers of the way, and now Jesus is co-opting his mission, and he's saying, I want you to now follow my plan. Now I want you to do what I want you to do. I know you had a plan. I know you prepped for this, you talked to the high priest, you, you sent a fax out to the synagogues in Damascus. Like, I know you've been working your plan, and many of you have been working your plan for years. I know that you're working your plan, but now Jesus just gives him a little breadcrumb, cl- bread and he just says, let's see if you're willing to come on this side of the rope and operate with me. And he didn't give him a ton of stuff to do. He just gave him a little bit. God gives you a little bit to see if you're faithful, and then he gives you a little bit more, and then he gives you a little bit more and a little bit more. And so, so Saul does this. He gets up, and he goes into the city. And, and then it says, he didn't really know what was gonna happen after that. So Paul picked himself up off the ground. When he opened his eyes, he was blind. He couldn't see. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus and he remained there blind for three days and didn't eat or drink. Could you imagine three days? He's sitting there for three days. Now, I don't know if that's coincidental or if he's trying to maybe just foreshadow a little bit of what Paul, Saul's life, later to be called Paul, of what his life is gonna be. Is he's beginning to experience the sufferings that Jesus experienced. For three days, he was blind. For three days, Jesus was in the grave. And then it says that there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And then the story kind of shifts to Jesus, again, red red letters, speaking to this guy named Ananias. And I'll just summarize it for you. He says, hey, listen, I've got this guy, Saul, and he was going to come and kill you, but now I want you to meet with him. (laughs) So you can imagine, now we got another person in here who's like, I'm not sure what I think about this, Jesus. I don't, know if I, wanna, I don't know if I wanna do this your way. How about you cooperate with me, Ananias in essence said, verse 13. But Lord, Ananias exclaimed, 
I've heard many, th- many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and now he's here. We, we, see, we know what this guy's up to, and he's authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. And the Lord said to him, verse 15, go. You see again? God is he's talking to Saul about cooperating with him. Now he's talking to Ananias, who's already a believer, about cooperating with him, and he just says, Go, and he gives him a reason. He says, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as, as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias, it doesn't say this, but I imagine Ananias was like, oh, he's gonna suffer? I'm out of here, let's do this. He's earned it. That's all that Ananias had to hear in order to cooperate with God. Now, this guy deserves a little suffering in his life. So today, with that story as the backdrop, and with your story, with your situation that you have in mind that you're trying to get God to cooperate with you on, I want to give you three prayer principles for when God is uncooperative. Three prayer principles. Number one, I think I have control. There there we go. Prayer isn't about getting our way, but surrendering our will. I don't know how you view prayer. Most of us view prayer like this. We bring, we bring God a list. We have a little prayer list. I've made prayer lists my whole life. My whole life. We have this prayer list, and we say, I want you to do that, and I want you to do that, and I need you to do this, and I need you to do this, and see what we're doing a lot of times in prayer. And this is normal for young, immature Christians, but some of you need to grow up. This is normal. But we say, God, here's what I want you to cooperate with me on, and this, and this, and this, and this. And look, some of those things are selfish and wrong and misguided. Like, like, like Saul's mission. His mission was misguided, it was completely wrong. He didn't realize it till later. By the way, Saul became a Christian, And his name got changed to Paul, and he ends up going on missionary journeys, and he's written half of the New Testament now, and we're gonna finish his story in a second. But some of you, that's what you do. You say, God, I need you to cooperate here, 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 and here. But some of you need to understand today that prayer isn't about getting our way, it's about surrendering our will. And Saul just started to learn that in Acts chapter nine, and then if you turn with me just briefly, if you turn with me to 2 Corinthians, one of the letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians, he says, I think I have this scripture up here. He says this. This is Paul writing after his missionary journeys, and he's gone through a lot, and you can read what he's gone through. You can read about it, and if you go back a chapter, go into 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you can read about all the different things that, that Saul had to endure, that Paul had to endure as a Christian now. Irony, he's going to persecute Christians, and the rest of his life, he's a persecuted Christian. It says, five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, not like you think. Three times I was shipwrecked, once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea, I've traveled on all these journeys, and he just goes, in in chapter 11, read it for yourself, he goes through this list of, of his little life story, his testimony, but then as you go to chapter 12, he talks about this, this thing called his thorn in the flesh. And he says, 
in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Now the Bible doesn't actually say what the thorn in the flesh was. Some, some theologians think that it was maybe his eyesight, he was losing his eyesight, I can relate to that. Some people think that maybe it was, a, it was a mental health thing or an emotional issue or maybe anxiety or depression. Some people think that it was maybe some other ailment in his physical body. We don't know, and I, I love that we don't know because I think for me that allows me to just enter my thing in there. It's like a fill in the blank, right? The thorn in the flesh, whatever you're dealing with, let's just say that's what Paul was dealing with. And look at what he says to you. He says, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. That's what he called it, a messenger of Satan. Come on, Paul, don't be so dramatic. But that's how he felt about it. He's like, this is Satan. Satan is doing this. And it says as we read on, it says, he said, please do this, God. Please come my way. Please cooperate with me. Come operate on my side of the rope over here. I need you to be tugging with me. This is a, didn't you see that? This is a messenger from Satan. This isn't good. This is clearly, God, hello, this is clearly a bad thing. How many of you have ever said that? Like, how can God not get this? He seems so smart. This is not a good thing. (laughs) Cancer is not a good thing. My wife wanting a divorce is not a good thing. You know, not getting this job or this other loser getting this job, that's not a good thing. God, I'm your favorite, not this other person. Or that person gets to drive the Audi. Why not me? Right, and so sometimes we say with God, look, look, do, please do this. But God's answer, it's, it's, sometimes he sounds almost, he's just uncooperative. But Paul had the benefit of actually hearing his response. God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's what he says. And he goes on in, in that passage and he says, each time, I said, each time he said to me, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. It says that he prayed three times for it. Three times he prayed. And I don't think this was just like a short little prayer. That probably meant he went and fasted and prayed about it and really went after God. God, take this away. And it says that Jesus said, so now, or Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Prayer isn't always about getting our way, but it's about surrendering surrendering our will. Maybe, just maybe, the thing you're praying for is something that God is not willing to cooperate with you on, even if it's a good thing. Because in 2 Corinthians 12, it was a good thing to pray against Satan. Isn't it a good thing to pray against Satan? Yes. And yet God still did not answer it. God didn't cooperate. He doesn't just cooperate like there's a list of good prayer, bad prayer. Going to Damascus to kill people, bad prayer. Praying against the messenger of Satan now that you're a Christian, good prayer. I'm gonna answer, I'm gonna, I'm gonna not cooperate on your bad prayers and I'm gonna, I'm gonna co- cooperate on your good prayers. That's not that simple. Maybe the thing that you're praying about, it's not about whether it's good or bad. Maybe it's just about God trying to teach you how to surrender to his will. That's what Paul did. Here's the second thing, we've just got two more. And I want you to just look at this and apply this in your own life. The second point is that 
Prayer reminds us that we're not in control, but, but it keeps us close to the one who is. I know in my life, six months ago, if I would have heard this sermon, I know exactly what would have been in my mind. And I realized in this time of wrestling with God, I realized that I was, and it was good, I thought it was all good stuff. And I realized that I was over here tugging, saying, come on, God, you need me here. You need me to do this for you. So would you get over here and help me out? And I was realizing that there were some situations in my world that I was trying to control for God. I felt like he needed my help in keeping the world spinning. Maybe in your life, some of you can relate to that. So you need to hear this. The prayer reminds us that we're not in control. And prayer keeps us close to the one who is. I wanna give you just a really quick thing to remember when you pray. We have a couple topics on this in our library at PursueGod.org, go to the prayer section. But I, one of the ways I've prayed my whole life since I was in high school is that I use this simple acronym, P-R-A-Y, P-R-A-Y, real simple to remember. And, and I think this is really good because prayer, what it does is it keeps me close to the one who's in control. Rather than me trying to control God through my prayers, I look at my prayers differently now and I approach him differently. It's not just about asking him to cooperate with me. It's also about these first two things. P, praise. When I start my time with God praising him, it reminds me that he's in control. Jesus taught us to pray. Start like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's praising God. I'm gonna... When's the last time you started your relationship with God, your prayer talk with God, by just saying, I'm not gonna ask you for anything yet. I'm just gonna say thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. And I'm gonna look back at all these things you've done in my life. I'm gonna say thank you for that and thank you for that. I might have come into a prayer time with a heavy heart and all these prayer requests, but I'm gonna say thank you. Thank you for that and that and that and that. And so we praise God. I start by praising God. And the second thing I do is the R. And that's when I repent. I haven't even asked for anything yet. That's the A. The A is ask. But first I praise God and I focus on him and he's in control and not me and I'm drawing closer to him. And now when I draw closer to him, it makes me, it makes me wanna repent. When I draw closer to God, I'm gonna say, oh, wow, I am so broken. I, I am so, I'm so sinful. God, thank you for letting me even draw near to you. And so now we begin to have this whole different perspective and, and we put ourselves in right relationship with God so that when we do get to the asking, we ask with a whole different perspective, a whole different heart. And the why in pray leads to this last point, and it's this. Prayer is not just asking for what you want, but it's trusting that God knows best. Because that last thing, the why, is the yielding. And that's what I see Paul doing here when he says, so now I'm glad to boast. You see, I've got that marked up in my Bible that that's, that was him just yielding to God. First, I prayed three times for this thing. God, cooperate with me. Come on, come on. Let's go. Let's do it my way. And then soon enough, I got the message, and I said, okay, God, now I'm going to yield to you. I'm going to do it your way. Some of you are trying to get God to operate on your terms, in your way, on your side of the rope, and God wants to say to you today, no, 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 no. 
I'm not uncooperative, you're uncooperative. I want you to come over here and pull with me. If God's speaking that to you, I just pray that you would hear it and respond to it today. Let's pray together. God, I pray, Lord, for everyone in this room, God, because I know that this, this is true for everyone. If not right now, it's gonna be true someday soon in their life or it has been true in their lives. It is so easy to put ourselves in the place of God and to try to get you to operate on our behalves and for us. But sometimes you're more interested in what you're doing in us than what you're doing for us. And I pray, God, whatever it is you're doing in us, that we would yield to that. And God, that you, Lord, would show yourself to be God in our lives like you did in the life of Paul. We pray for your glory, for our good in Jesus' name. Amen.